You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. While you were skipping stones, building forts, and flying kites, I was missing school and on my Saturday nights. Other kids were climbing trees and rolling down hills. I was singing songs to pay my family's bills. Little me, growing up Broadway. Little me. Hello, I'm Mark Tuminelli, and welcome back to the Little Me podcast. My guest today is someone I've known for a long time. She's a Broadway Workshop alumni who started my pilot production of Spamalot Young at Part Edition for theatrical rights worldwide. She's an actress, a singer, a voiceover artist, and an author. She was part of the off-Broadway smash hit production of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish, directed by Joel Gray at Stage 42. You can hear her uniquely adorable voice as Bielka, the youngest daughter, on the original cast recording of Fiddler. She also voices Trinket the Unicorn on Nickelodeon's Nella, The Princess Knight, currently airing its first two seasons internationally. Her book, On the Roof, detailing her experience being part of the Fiddler family, is now available from Pegasus Publishers. Please welcome one of the most joyous people I've ever known, Samantha Hahn. Hi, Sammy. Hi. My God, you're here. I'm so excited to talk to you about Fiddler and the book and your incredible voiceover career. So uh, thank you for coming on the Little Me podcast. Thank you for having me. I love this podcast. Oh my God, that's why I'm obsessed with you. Okay, <laughs> so um, I can't wait to dive into Fiddler and talking about the book, but tell me how you first got sort of started in the business. I know you're a kid who was auditioning and performing. Tell me how like it, it sparked for you. Uh, yeah, I love singing ever since I was really little. And um, my mom used to take me and my sisters and our whole family to see Broadway shows. And we would come back from the shows and then we would try to re-perform them. <laughs> and we, we would get like costumes and stuff like that. And uh, then, you know, I was always picking the drama electives and doing theater. And I went to a place called Annie's Playhouse in my hometown to, awesome. you know, do voice lessons and stuff. And then I started going into the city more and, you know, taking workshops like your workshop Ooh. and <laughs> auditioning. Um, and, and, and so you have a wildly unique, very cool voice that sort of sets you out from the crowd, right? Um, and it seems like you've really used that to your advantage. So um, obviously, you're, you know, the industry is really excited about a voice like yours for voiceover. So were you auditioning a lot for commercials and cartoons and things like that? Uh, yeah, I was, I was always told like, oh, your voice is so unique. You should do voiceovers. And I never like really, I was like, oh, okay, that that's interesting. And then I think the more people told me it, the more I was like, yeah, I should really do some voiceovers. Um, and I, I, Actually, Nella was one of the first auditions I ever had for something. It's it's a non-union show, so it was kind of like a big like they were seeing anybody for it. Yeah. And that was that was like the one of the first auditions and it was the first callback I ever got for something. So tell me about that audition process. What did they give you to prepare? Did you where do you have to go put it on tape? Tell me about how that came together. Um, it was it was really cool. I read lines for uh, Trinket the Unicorn, and I also read lines for Nella's baby sister, who is literally a baby. So it was just you know like gurgling noises. Like sounds. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like baby sounds. Um, so it was really funny. Um, and I went into the the Abrams Artist Studios where they were doing those auditions, and I went into a booth there and I recorded it and. There was like tons of people there. So it was really kind of like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing here. Um, but then I got a callback for it. Um, and and the callback was really cool because I went into the real studio where they record it. And I got to work with the voice director. Um, and it was it was really, it was really it was a really fun experience. And and I remember thinking it went 
terribly because I went in there and I read the lines and then at the end of it they asked me to come back and they were like oh wait sorry we forgot we have to get you doing a giggle and because they always make you giggle and we have to get you doing a horse noise because it's a unicorn and I was like oh interesting a horse noise (laughs) okay so what give me your horse noise (laughs) okay so this is what I did because this is the first thing that came to my mind I went like this And everybody just like burst out laughing and I was so embarrassed and I left and I was like, well, there, that, that went terribly. I think I, I think I was crying. I, I walked out and I met my mom and I was like, that was awful. I just made a fool out of myself. Okay. But then they called you and were like, can you please play the unicorn? Can yes. You- a month <laughs> later, I had forgotten about the audition at all. And a month later I got the call and they were like, we, we want you to play trinket. And I was like, what? what is this? I, I didn't even, I was like, the unicorn. Oh my God. Is that the one that I made that terrible horse noise at? But this is a talking unicorn. Yeah. So you have yeah. lots of lines on the show. Yeah. Lot, yeah. Lots of lines and they're singing. And it's your voice. Really is your own voice different than your trinket voice? Um, a little bit. It just kind of comes with the acting, you know, she's very, um, it, I don't know. She's she's very funny. She's very stylish and, and fancy. And so she talks very fancy, I guess. All right. So this thing is kind of blown up. Like I have seen, I, I, I texted you this year when I was, last year when I was Christmas shopping with my mom and I saw a trinket Christmas ornament. I was like, oh, this is big time, Samantha Hahn. <laughs> um, is it weird to see it sort of everywhere in the dolls places? And you're like, that's me. I am, that's me. I am her. Yeah. <laughs> The doll thing was really cool. I got like the little action figures. Um, and, yeah, that was it. Was so cool to see the the cartoon of it and um, like watching the first episode and being like, oh my gosh, that's that's so weird to see your voice coming out of somebody's face, yes. even if it's like a horse. <laughs> um, so you've done two seasons. Is there a third season coming together? I don't know about a third season, but. We've done two seasons and it seemed I voice they use my voice for the um the UK one too. Uh-huh. And they're always like airing the one in the UK like slower than the US, I guess. So okay. those episodes are still coming out, but I think the US is caught up. So let's hope that we get some more Nella the Princess Knight. <laughs> yeah, cross your fingers. Are you um doing a lot of other voiceover auditioning even now in this craziness? Yeah, the voiceover auditions are a lot during this. It's good like all the time. There's lots of different things and lots of um, I'm getting to try a lot of new things. I just learned how to um, do like a pretend to be like a boy kid. Okay, so what is Can you give me <laughs> boy kid voice? Like, what does he sound like? Oh, <laughs> Over a girl kid. Um, like, hey, how's it going there? Uh, <laughs> Okay, I'm obsessed with all of this. All right, well, you are you're killing it in the voice game, and you're using your a cool, unique voice to your advantage, which is what I always try to tell my kids: like, figure out what it is that makes you special, and then shine the biggest light on it. Has it ever stressed you out or been something you're not happy about having that cool, cute little voice? Oh, totally. I mean, like, like growing up and stuff, I would always get picked on um, for my voice, and even. Even like in college, you know, people are just... Yes, let's remind the people at home (laughs) that you're an adult person. Yes, Um. I'm an adult person and people hear my voice and they are very surprised. And sometimes it's a very nice surprise reaction and sometimes it's a very uh, not nice reaction. Well, also the phone is like a really weird thing. If you're on the phone with people, like most people, my whole life have thought I've been a woman on the phone. If you're (laughs) listening to this podcast, I'm a male. Not that it makes any difference, but, um, you know, they'll be like... Can I talk to your husband, Miss Tuminelli? I'm like, oh, geez. Um, I mean, I do have a husband, but you get what I'm saying. It's, uh, it's most people thought I was my mom in high school. It was, but I used to call myself sick into school. I'd be like, hi, this is Denise Nielsen, Mark Tuminelli's mom. He can't come to school today. I did that like every day. Um, So, you know, sometimes it does work in your advantage, you know? All right, let's jump in. We want to talk about Fiddler and this book and this this cool, exciting journey you have you had being part of the Fiddler and Yiddish family. So tell me about when that audition first came up, because you were part of the original cast of the Jewish Museum, yeah? Yeah. So I remember all my friends like having auditions, like I have auditions for Fiddler and I need to learn these sides <laughs> in Yiddish. So tell me about all of that. 
So I actually met Jamie Beth Margolis, the casting director at one of those like intensives in the city that right. I did. And um, so I was friends with her on Facebook. And I think she only knew me as as younger, you know, as like a little kid, because I was a sophomore in college at this point. And I saw her post on Facebook that she was looking for people to audition. And it was actually she was looking for like a violinist or, or something like that to audition or like male dancers. And I was like, Oh, but this is Fiddler on the Roof. And I had seen the I had seen the recent like Fiddler on the Roof revival. And when I was watching that, I was like, Oh, like, I gotta I gotta remember, like, I can be one of those like Fiddler on the Roof daughters. Yeah. So I sent her an email. And I was like, Hi, like, can I can I audition for this, you know, to be one of the daughters? And she sent me backsides for Sprinza and Bielka. And I was like, Oh, my gosh, okay, so this is crazy. So and they sent the little Yiddish pronunciation guide recording. Muttel Didner, our um, Yiddish coach and associate director, recorded it. And so I was listening to that and I was like, okay, I'm going to speak in Yiddish now. Did you have any experience with that at all? No, I mean, like I had a bat mitzvah, but like. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. See Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you got prepared for the audition. You go in. How does it go? Do you think you you booked it? <laughs> um, no, it was it was really short, and you know Joel Gray was there, so I was really like, oh my gosh, this is Joel Gray, and um, I sang Matchmaker in Yiddish, and I did the sides, and then I was just kind of like standing there for a second, and then Joel was like, that was really sweet, and they were like, okay, you can go, and I was like, thank you, and I was like, thank you, and I left, and I actually had two other friends in in college who auditioned for it also and they they were like how was your audition how was your audition and they were talking about how at their auditions they they were there for forever and they got asked all these questions and they the people were asking them all these things about how they learned the Yiddish and all this stuff or whatever and I was like oh great <laughs> that means I didn't You're like I didn't get well. that <laughs> I was like um mine was short um but but then I got I got a call back like really a couple of days after that and it was like oh my gosh All right it's happening so you go to your callback fast forward <laughs> when do you get an offer like we'd like you to do this big Joel Gray directed new version of Fiddler really soon after the callback I think just a couple of days and I was like in my dorm room going I was literally setting my phone to silent and the email notification popped up at like midnight and was like offer for Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish Bielka and I was just flipping out all right so did you have to leave school what was the timeline of uh when you were starting because you were obviously a full-time college student at can I say where you go on to college oh yeah Um, Manhattan School of Music. Great. Sometimes that's like weird. We don't want people to know where anyone can find anyone. But so um, you're at Manhattan School of Music. You're a sophomore. You're living on campus. You're Uh a theater student. Yes, I'm assuming. And so this is the goal is like to book something like this. And so now you've booked it. How do you balance that with school? So it was actually going to be the perfect timing because it was a summer show. It was only supposed to run for like four weeks during the summer. So I was like, this is great. Like, I'm going to finish sophomore year. I'm going to go do this off-Broadway show during the summer. And then I'm going to come back for junior year. Um, and it was it was just going to work out really perfectly. Um, but but Fiddler kept extending and extending. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll get into that in a second. So that then you had to figure out how do you go to school and do the show or not. So when you get cast in the show, do you already have this idea? Like, I want to document this experience. Tell me about how that all kind of started. No, I didn't actually, I mean, I'm always journaling and stuff. So I always kind of am documenting the experience, but I didn't start uh, writing about the show until we moved uptown like a year later. All right. So let's talk about that first little chunk. So you open at the the Jewish Museum and everyone's kind of talking about it and freaking out and the reviews are unbelievable. Did you expect that as you guys were working on it? Like, oh, this is better than just like a one month Jewish Museum special experience I think I don't think so we were always just stunned that it kept getting extended and and what was cool is we all it was clear that we all loved doing it so much so it was just kind of like the chance to keep doing it again was just so like exciting and unexpected for everyone 
But I think the first time we thought that, okay, this is really going to be something really, really special was, you know, like our first stumble through. And I remember Steven Skybell saying rich man and we were all just watching him and we were like, oh my gosh, this is good. Like, this is the best rich man I've ever seen. Like, this has got to be good. (laughs) How hard was it to rehearse a show in a language that you don't speak? It's hard because you can't really forget your lines because <laughs> you don't really like, I don't know. I never knew quite enough Yiddish to be able to, if I forgot my lines to cover for it. Cause you know, so if somebody misses an entrance or. Oh, yeah, I did not even it, think about that. Like, yeah. yeah. Did that stuff go down? Did, did people miss lines and have to cover? There was, there was one time downtown where somebody missed an entrance and um, Golda and Yento were on the stage waiting and, and they they were trying to ad lib and they kind of kept saying, you know, the same kind of lines. Over, they were like, oh, so where are the daughters? Oh, yes, the daughters, you know, <laughs> like stuff like that. Oh, my God. It didn't even that didn't even concern like like enter my brain. Like, what do you do if you don't? Um I saw, I did not see it at the Jewish Museum. I saw it when you guys moved uptown. And what, I mean, I am a theater person and I've seen Fiddler, you know, a hundred times. And I didn't realize how well I knew it that I never had to read the sides. I could just watch the show and I was just changing the line in my head because I'm familiar enough with the book that I always kind of knew what was going on. Um, And so it was really kind of fascinating. Did you feel feel that as a cast, like that you had such a good sense of this musical that it was just sort of easy to stay in it? Yeah, totally. I mean, the story, the story and the intentions are so clear. And the way Joel directed us, it was very much based on, um, you know, based in the truth of like, okay, what are we doing? What, you know, who are these people? and, And what story are we telling? So I feel like that kind of knit it all together and and then the Yiddish just kind of like enhanced that. So tell me about Joel and the rehearsal process. Um, what, you know, did you really know who he was? What is your experience with Joel Gray pre, you know, Fiddler? Yes, I'd always known him from Wicked and Cabaret. And, um, you know, we have this, we have this history of musical theater class sophomore year. Um, at Manhattan School of Music with David Loud and we we touched a lot on Joel Gray during that and watched you know his videos and so um, that was like right before you auditioned for him yeah (laughs) oh my god that's amazing yeah you had had this history lesson on Joel Gray and then five minutes later you were working with Joel Gray yes Um, how was he with you did you feel like he was really taking care of you guys it all seemed like you all had this magical experience with him so tell me about that a little bit yeah, he's kind of that magical guy. He's like that Jiminy Cricket character that's just like, you know, he's always there and he's always very wise and very kind. And um, he, you know, on the first day of rehearsal, he came up to every single one of us and gave us a big hug. Like, you know, we had known each other forever and we're going to be best of friends. So that was like crazy. And he's always very attentive and wanting to get to know every single person. And, you know, me as the youngest, he would always, you know, tease me a little bit and call me the baby and, you know, be be really cutesy with me and make sure that I was paying attention and, and make sure that I was, um, you know, taking care of. He would tell some of my like big sisters in the show to like, oh, you are you are you taking care of her? Are you watching out for her? I love it. That makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, and it he did a beautiful job. I mean, that show was so bare bones. I mean, it really was the story and so beautifully staged and his concept, you know, obviously not only the Yiddish end of it, but also the tearing down of the paper and all of that just had so much impact that I was like, okay, so Joel Gray's a director and (laughs) I want to see what else, you know, he wants to do, you know, like I want to see his version of so many things now. All right. So let's go back. So you're performing at the Jewish museum. People are loving it. The show keeps getting extended. You love doing it. Well, at what point were you like, well, I have to, if this is going to keep going, I have to go back to school. What, what, tell me about that. Um, so the first, the first extension we had was a one week extension and I was so excited about that. And I emailed school and I was like, can I miss, you know, orientation week and this, you know, can I send in my auditions for the musicals this year on videotape? And they were like, sure, no problem. 
And then we were getting extended more. And it kind of seemed like, okay, we're going to get extended for who knows how long. And at that point, I emailed the head of my school. And I was like, how long can I stay in this show before I have to come back to school? You know, because I already knew that I couldn't, they wouldn't have me do both because of the way our schedule works with school. And um, yeah, so I, I got I got to stay like one more extra week. So I got the two week extensions. And then I had to decide if I was gonna be in the show or at school because I couldn't do both. So you decided to go back to school. How hard was that? That was like the hardest decision ever. And I, I, I'm so I'm so glad that I made the decision that I made now. But also, I so wish that I could have been there. And it was really weird because I had so many different people I was asking for advice from and so many different people were telling me different things. And I just kind of had to pick one. <laughs> All right. So you go, you go back to school. How hard, like, was that just like a nightmare? <laughs> that was, yeah, that was, that was really the hardest thing ever, actually. Going back to school while I knew the show was still running and like that being in that show that summer was like the best thing ever. It was like the most magical experience. And I was just so surrounded by all of these people that I looked up to and loved so much. And it was like living this little dream world. And then I was back at school and I could see that it was still happening and and I wasn't there and I had chosen that. So that was really a little heavy on me. Yeah, that is a very hard thing to wrap your brain around and then have to be in like theater class where you're like, I could be doing this every night. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. So the show ends at the Jewish Museum. Did you know that Stage 42 was happening? Did you think you lost out on that opportunity because you had left the show? What what happens next? I, I had no idea um, that it would transfer and I I was actually thinking about it. I had, you know, I had this wild dream in the back of my head like, oh, I just wish that they would call me and be like, oh, we need you to run in and come do a show for a night or, you know, we need you back. We're going to do something with this show. We're going to Broadway or, you know, something like that. So when I got the call, I was just like, kind of shocked because I was like, did I create this in my head? Like, I don't know how this happened. So you got a call that said, we're moving and we'd like you to come back. Yeah, I got that call and I got it before people in the show knew that they were moving and I wasn't supposed to tell anybody. But did you tell people? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, of course you did. Um, Now, if I was you, I would have been like so stressed that like if it moved, it would move with this new girl. And uh, and we can't not have that happen. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going with it. So that's awesome that they brought you back or at least gave you the option to come back. So then I'm sure that was a really easy decision to decide what to do, right? Yeah, that was the easiest for some reason. I was like, I already know what I'm going to do. And I I still talk to people about it, but everyone could tell when I was talking to them about it and asking them about it that I had already kind of made the decision. And I was like, this is what's going to make me like so happy. And, and there's no way I can't do it. All right. So we're going to talk about the transfer to State 42 and the book. We're going to take a little break and we'll be back in two seconds to talk about part two of this. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay. So we're back. You are moving to stage 42 now in Fiddler and Yiddish, a role you created off Broadway. Where does the book come in? Talk to me about when you start thinking about writing a book or journaling or, you know, documenting your experience. It was a couple months into the run uptown, and I think I was just having one of those antsy days, you know, at intermission in the dressing room, and I was playing with my friend Raquel, who plays Sprinza. I was we playing love with Raquel. Her. You love Raquel? Oh, yeah, you know Raquel? I know Raquel, too, yeah. I was playing with her phone because she had this cool camera on her phone, and I was I was taking these pictures of people backstage, and I thought that it would be a really cool idea to have, like, some sort of, like, interview book where it showed like a picture of someone backstage and talked about what they do backstage. So that was the first idea I got about it. And I started interviewing people um, after that. And then my second interview was with um, Jody Snyder, who plays Fru Macera. And she started talking about her audition story. And I was like, Oh, you know, this is cool. You know, I've never heard someone talk about their audition story and then their rehearsal experience and then their experience backstage. I've never like read a book that talked about all those things. And I, I kind of want to make that one because, you know, you always want to write the books that you want to read, I guess. Right. So you start the process and you're like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. So what kind of things are you doing during your show that is, you know, staying in the documentary phase over like performing? What kind of things are happening every night? for you to put this book together? Uh, like, I mean, I was just kind of, I would, I would interview people at like intermission or in between scenes, you know, in the stairway or, or in the house. And I would just ask them all these questions. And, and I had so many questions to ask them because I really wanted to, you know, every, I was the youngest in the cast. So I wanted to know like e- about everybody's experience and like what it was like from their point of view. And then at the same time, I started writing down um, things that that were that I was feeling and and were happening to me. What kind of stories really stick out for you? Uh, like in the book? Yeah. Um, I guess I think that I think the coolest ones are. I mean, the whole the whole rehearsal process actually was the coolest to write about and remember because that part is just like so vivid in my memories for some reason. Is that the original rehearsal process? Yeah, or the original. Because for stage 42, did you guys just do a very quick little rehearsal process before you moved? Yeah, we rehearsed for like a week before yeah. that. And that was, I wrote about that too. That was, that was, that was crazy also. But the first rehearsals where it was just like Joel and he would have us all in a room doing the scene and he would have us read the lines in English and then switch to Yiddish and then switch back to English. And then he would be like, okay, move where you want to move, you know, do do this. And that was how it all kind of like got onto its feet like that. Um, so that that was crazy. Did you have your script? Did it have all the lines in Yiddish and in English underneath it? Yeah, it had the Yiddish and then it had the original lyrics mm-hmm. from the show. And then it had the direct translation of the Yiddish, which was slightly different. <laughs> oh my God. First of all, Fiddler's a three hour and 10 minute play. <laughs> and so that must have been like the heaviest book to walk around with. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. All right. So who was the most fun person to interview? Um, Probably... Jackie. I was going to say, I hope it's Jackie Hoffman. Yeah, it was Jackie Hoffman. Tell me about working with her. I am like, I love seeing her on TV. I've had very small interactions with her. I just always really enjoy seeing her. And she seems like the most miserable person, but also not at all. So give me the four and one on working with Jackie Hoffman and what she shared for your book. So she's just the funniest. And like the the first day of rehearsal, when we had our first read through, she was actually sitting next to me. And during the read through, she was 
like whispering jokes into my ear, like throughout throughout the script, she would just lean over and whisper something funny in my ear. And I was I was totally dying. But she's just got that spirit that's always like if we're having a tough day of rehearsal or you know a long show two show day or whatever she's just always coming in with like jokes and just making us all crack up or just lifting our spirits like that but interviewing her was super cool because she actually talked about like a lot of I don't know she brought up a really a lot of really good points that were very sentimental and she talked a lot about um the circle we come out in tradition and how much like pride that that brings us on with, which was cool. Um, yeah. What was the audience reaction? Because obviously when you move uptown, you're not just getting people who are going to the Jewish Museum. So you're getting people who are just in town to see a show, no fiddler, um, saw a poster, which you were like the, it's like your face is the poster. So, um, but so what what was the difference between performing it off-Broadway and perform? I mean, they're both off-Broadway, but performing it uptown, did you feel like a difference from the audience? Yeah, we had a totally different audience, and it was cool because they were laughing at jokes that we thought were funny, but the audience at the downtown theater didn't think were funny. <laughs> so um, there was one part that, um, there's one part in the Sunrise Sunset song where it's, you know, why did he get to be, when did he get to be so tall? And Ben Lieber, our muttle, is very short. And when we moved uptown, the audience started cracking up at that line. <laughs> and we had never, like, heard that before. So we were all just like, oh, my gosh, that's really funny. We didn't think of that. Is that a uh, part of the book, sort of what the audience experience was? Um. Yeah, a little bit. I don't know how much it mentions it, but... It was it was definitely a big change. It was definitely a more, you know, theatery audience. And yeah. And you guys did the show at stage forty two for how long? Um, for almost a year. Wow. We started in February and ended in January. That's unbelievable because as you know, not that theater's a little cursed and yeah. nothing nothing runs more than like eight minutes there. <laughs> um so that's a really big deal. I think you're you're definitely probably one of the longest runs in that in that theater space, um, what was, uh, working in that building like? I mean, cause it's a pretty new space as far as dressing rooms and things like that. What was, uh, that like? It was really cool. It was my first time having like a, a stage door that you could come out of. And sometimes there were people who wanted autographs. So that was like wild. And, <laughs> um, you know, there was, there was, um, there was a, the wings were just so cool with all of the, um, I don't know, the sets and, and the props and things. It was it was really just felt like this huge space compared to downtown. And um, yeah, I, I love that theater. I mean, there, there were definitely like ghosts there. And and <laughs> it was a little like, you know, you would go into corners and be like, all right, you know. What, what I know I'm not alone. <laughs> it's, it's the Fiddler ghost. They, they yeah. follow doing such a long run a year. Tell me about the kinds of stories that I, I know are in the book about injuries and line flubs and mistakes. And what is, what is anything that pops out about those things? Oh, so many. Um, one that, one that pops out to me is, is this one story in the book about how, um, I, I cut, I cut my thumb when I was trying to cut an avocado. Um, you can still see the, the stitches on my thumb. Yes. And, <laughs> Um, and that was like a night before a show and I, I cut it open and I went and got stitches and I was like, you know, texting my stage manager with one hand being like, I don't know how I'm going to do all these hand grabs in the show. And also I've got all this stuff wrapped around my thumb. And we came in in the morning and she rehearsed like, um, Cat West, our amazing stage manager rehearsed like tradition with us. And people were, instead of grabbing my hands, they would, they would link pinkies with me or, you know, they, they would try to grab around it. And that was just, that was really funny. And then, and then also I couldn't like put, I couldn't braid my hair. Um, you know, people were helping me braid my hair and put on my costume. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, and what about for anyone else? Was there, were there other things that stick out as moments that are documented in the book that are, you know, funny to you? Um, yeah, there are so many, there's, there's so many, um, funny mishaps that happened. Um, some that are in, I tried to put in, in the book trailer a little bit. Um, like there's one where 
Nick Raynor, one of our bottle dancers, actually dropped the bottle into the lap of somebody in the audience, <laughs> <laughs> which was really hilarious. Um, and, you know, there were all these different times we would, you know, start laughing about something or people would run into each other on stage. And then there were, there were also more, you know, serious things like people actually, you know, injuring their backs um, and, you know, having to make those adjustments, which is like really crazy. How hard is it for you to call out when you're doing a show like that, that you love so much and letting anyone else go on for your track? Um, it's like impossible. Like I had a lot of allergies during the show and I, I would get small colds and um, they would actually give me like a little, a little cloth that I could stick in my pocket that I could wipe all my snot on so that I could just like, you know, be on stage and like, like I will not call out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, how much did the show change when people were on for other people, especially, you know, performing in another language? Um, I mean, it, it's crazy. It's like, it just kind of changes when you're doing it with a different person, I guess, because they bring new things to the role and they just say the lines differently and you, you just kind of go with them on that. And, and it's really fun. Um, and we kind of have that super supportive cast where it's really exciting when somebody's going on as an understudy and everybody watches all their scenes from the wings backstage. So it's kind of like a big event and it's really, it's really fun. I love it. So when, when you interviewed Joel for the book, um, what kind of questions were you asking him? What did you want to know that you didn't know, you know, during the rehearsal process or his process? I think I asked him a lot about what the experience meant to him. And also, you know, like if there were ever times that he thought that it wasn't going to work out or if he thought it was going to be a huge success and what from, you know, cause from my point of view, I was like, you know, I felt like I had no clue what was going on and I was just, you know, I was just kind of like running in and trying to catch up with everyone. And so I wanted to know if he felt like it was all kind of in control and he knew it was going to be, you know, so great, or if he was just as surprised as we were about it. And what did he say? Oh, well, you'll have, <laughs> you'll have to, to read, read the book. All right. <laughs> we're selling some books today. Um, all right. So what do you want people to take from this? So when, as you are putting those stories together and telling your story about leaving school and coming back and being part of this show and working with Joel and cast interviews, what do you hope the reader is taking away from this experience? It's funny because I was thinking about that while I was writing it and I was like, I have no idea what, you know, what's the point of this, um, except for the, the coolness of like reading it, you know. Um, but when I was writing the epilogue, actually, I, I kind of wrote about how all of the big moments of like off-Broadway debut and meeting all these celebrities and, you know, cool things like that kind of didn't really mean as much to me as you know, forming this family and, and making these friendships and having these little moments where I would get cut from a number and I would be so upset and I would go back to the dressing room. And then there was, you know, Kayleen Seidel and, and she gave me a piece of chocolate, you know, and, and that made me feel so good. <laughs> so like those moments kind of just stick out in your mind a little more, um, you know. Why do you think that Cass had such a bond that way? Do you think there's something specific about the piece? What What do you think is the reason that you all came together in, in such a tight-knit family? Um, it could definitely be about the piece um, and that we all are, you know, this shtetl and we're supposed to be this, you know, big community family. Um, there's also learning a new language and going through that together really bonds you because you're like, we all don't know this language, but we're <laughs> pretending like we do. And then I also think it's kind of like that trickle down effect where we have such wonderful people in charge of the show and then such wonderful people as, you know, the starring roles. And it just kind of goes down throughout the company where you're, you're just met with so much love and then you just kind of give it back out. I feel like this book is a great opportunity for historians who love Fiddler and who have, I mean, this show has more like more history than almost anything to be able to look back at that time and really see what this show was and how it was performed like a show that is not in English to be a hit 
you know, off Broadway, like this does not happen. And you have documented that experience so beautifully that I think not only theater people, but theater kids and theater, you know, obviously, you know, people who love Fiddler, Jewish people just in general to get this idea of what this, this story was for you and what your perspective was. So I'm sure that it will have a really beautiful life. When is, when can everyone, can everyone can pre-order it now? What's the story? You can totally get it now and it'll, it'll come. You can get it on everything. I don't know. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> How proud are you when you saw your first copy of it? Like, what does that feel like as an author and a young author to like get your book for the first time and see cover art and all of that? Tell me about that. It's been really weird, honestly, because um, I kind of I, I imagined it being more in person with people and being with my you know, Fiddler family in person and being able to, you know, show it to them and, and look at it. So it's been weird, you know, being in quarantine, quarantine. and stuff. Yeah. You're like, I'm selling a book in quarantine. It's not yeah. easy. <laughs> but, um, actually today I got really excited about it and I, I totally just started crying about it randomly today. So it, it comes in like different moments. <laughs> Was it hard to get uh, anyone on board with you know, sort of releasing this book or was it an easy sell for you? Um, I think everyone, everyone was pretty on board. I mean, it was funny because when I was writing it, I, I was asking people in the cast, you know, I was like, hey, Stephen, can I interview you? I'm, I'm writing this book. And he was like, is it for school? And, <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> so that was interesting because it's like, I'm, I was at I was like, I'm writing this book, but at the same time, I was like, I have no idea what's going to happen with this book. I'm just trying my best, you know? And it's here. You made it happen. It's out in the world. That's like so, so thrilling. And I, you know, I'm so proud of you. And I just think it's like the coolest thing. And that production was so beautiful that I'm so glad that someone has documented what the story is and what your experience was, the good, the bad, the ugly of it. And, <laughs> um, you know, it seems like it was mostly good, right? Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So we have to, I want to know obsess. I want to do our special edition of quick fire questions and uh, we'll let all the people know where they can get the book and all that fun stuff. So Sammy, what are you obsessed with right now? Um, I'm watching Grey's Anatomy for the first time. So <laughs> In a very unfiddler move. I know. <laughs> um, and you're obsessed with it. It's great. Yeah. I watched it when it was on, like for the first, I don't know, maybe like five years. And I was like, all right. And I had enough. But <laughs> how far along are you? I'm pretty far. I'm at like season 11 now. You know, everybody died and stuff like that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, my obsession this week is another podcast called the Broadway Brains Podcast. It's hosted by an 11-year-old girl, Lucy Domingo. And I was a guest yesterday and I recorded an episode with her. And it was like the most charming, fun experience. This kid is so smart and she loves Broadway and she's getting all these people to do her podcast. And I was like so inspired by her. So if you're listening to this, check out the Broadway Brains podcast available everywhere. Um, and you'll hear another cute, adorable human uh, talk about Broadway. Doesn't That's that sound so, so cool. cute? Yeah, I'm definitely going to go listen you to it. You have to listen to it. It's so charming. I listened to a bunch of episodes. Also, her episodes are like 35 minutes. So it's like, that oh, is nice. magic. All right. Let's, are you ready for the Broadway Workshop Quickfire Questions Fiddler Edition? <laughs> All right. Favorite song in Fiddler on the Roof? Do you love me? Have you ever seen Fiddler on Broadway? You answered that, but. Yeah, yes. yeah, I have. Okay, least favorite song in Fiddler? Ooh, oh my gosh. I don't have a least favorite song. All right, fine. Um, <laughs> please. All right, say um, it's that. There's that song that Perchick sings. I'm always like, why is this here? Oh, okay, fine. That one. <laughs> okay, great. Um, tell me one thing about Jackie Hoffman. Jackie Hoffman is the nicest, and she wrote me a poem card for my birthday. Love it. Um, say a line from Fiddler in Yiddish, please. Mifor mitabon, mifor mitashiv. That's we're going on a train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also am very familiar with Fiddler. See, so you okay. <laughs> Can you name three actors who played Tevia on Broadway? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. Um, do you know how long the Fiddler movie is in length? 
three hours? Yeah. Um, well, I was recently staying in a house in Vermont <laughs> and I needed to put something on the Netflix for Max to watch, our dog, while we were out and we needed three hours. And so we put Fiddler on for Oh him. my gosh. All right. Um, so now available on Netflix. Um, sunrise <laughs> or sunset? Sunrise. What do you want on your bagel? It's not. It's a Broadway Workshop question, but it's also a Fiddler question. That's a great Fiddler question. I like cream cheese on my bagel. Great. All right. Choose one. Gramicidal or Frumacera? Frumacera. <laughs> Did you have a pre-show ritual at Fiddler? Uh, yes. Actually, during the during the vamp of the show backstage when we're all holding hands, Jody Snyder and I, um, Jody plays for Masera. We would sing a verse of Into the Woods before we walked on stage. Oh my God, that's a good one. And you write about that in the book? Yeah. Great. All right. Do you know any of the alternate titles of Fiddler on the Roof? What? All right. So there are some, <laughs> before it's called Fiddler on the Roof, these were the, these oh. were the alternate Fiddler titles. The Old Country, Tevia, Not So Long Ago, Not So Far Away, and Where Papa Came From. I knew, I knew Where Papa Came From because I've heard that song. Yeah. That's so funny. So we're doing, we're doing some Fiddler trivia. Tell <laughs> us one thing about making the cast recording. How cool that you got to do that. That was so cool. Um, the coolest, I mean, I was at school at that point coming back and I wasn't in the show. So that was super cool. And when I came in, uh, Joel ran up to me and he gave me a hug and he said, there is a God. And that, that was the best thing ever. Oh my God. All right. Um, did you see the show when you were not in it? Yes. I got to see the show when I was not in it and I saw it a bunch of times. <laughs> was that like hard for you? No, it was okay. the best thing ever. I was like, oh my gosh, I got a ticket and I came to see it. And then I was like, wait, can I see this again and again? Oh my God. I love that. If you had a quarantine with one Fiddler sister, who would it be? Um, Rachel Zadkoff, who plays Seitzel. She's been like such a huge inspiration to me. I love it. Um, what's the deal with Hava? <laughs> what's the deal with Hava? Where's Hava? There was this... <laughs> There was this funny story where um, we were we were taking this big group picture. Okay, I actually wasn't here for this story, but I heard it all the time. All right, we'll share it. This, <laughs> they were taking this big group picture, and um, Joel was giving direction on like, all right, you're looking, you know, you're going, you're leaving Anatevka, you've got these faces on, you don't know who lives, who dies, where's Hava? And <laughs> that, so that was- <laughs> Where's Hava? Where's Hava? Um, all right, is Joel Gray ever scary? No. <laughs> All right. Mm. <laughs> no. Oh, actually, yeah. One time, <laughs> one time uptown, we were doing, we were running the pogrom, and he had this idea to add a sound effect into the show and he had it while we were running the scene so we were running the pogrom we're all like crying on stage and he stands up from the house and he yells gunshot and we all were like oh my gosh what oh my god um what is the best lesson you learned from joel um i think the best the best lesson i learned from joel is probably i learned to like try everything a director gives you even if even if you think that it's not um that that you're like oh my gosh I don't want to do this 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 isn't <laughs> going to be weird. good yeah um but you know to just kind of try it because the way it affects other people in the show you know it could really give somebody else something really cool to do I love that what is your your favorite family tradition oh in my family yeah oh uh, we have a great Passover I love our Passovers I love that. Okay, what sister should Patty Lapone play in Fiddler? Oh my gosh. Um, I think Hava. <laughs> <laughs> um, does anyone have a prettier voice than Jen Babiak? No. <laughs> it's like the most gorgeous Golda ever sung, certainly on a cast album. Yeah. But she's it's like, oh, I didn't even realize that Golda has her own like vocal line. You know what I mean? Because no one can ever yeah. sing it. It was Jen is a good friend of mine, and I was so blown away by seeing her in that show. It just really, it was such a beautiful performance, right? Yeah, totally. Uh, all right. Who did Bette Midler play in Fiddler? Um, Seidel? Yeah, but she was like someone else in the ensemble first, but you still get the yeah. point. All right. Tell <laughs> us one thing about working at the Little Schubert. Um, One thing was that 
The elevators were really creepy, and I always thought I was going to die in the elevator. And a non-fiddler <laughs> question, because I have to ask, can you name two Real Housewives? Um, no. <laughs> All right, last question. Who should read your book? Everybody. I love that. I think everyone should get it, read it, hear Sammy's story. Sammy, tell people where they can follow you, where they can find the book. Give us all the information. You can follow me on at SammyHannah6 on Instagram. And you can also follow at OnTheRoofBook. And you can go to SammyHan.com and there's a page about the book that'll have all the information. Which links you to Pegasus Publishing, which can get, is the book on Amazon as well? Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, Bookshop. Great. Everybody buy the book. Um, I can't wait to read it. You're sending me one, but wait, I didn't get it yet. So (laughs) I am, I'm just read your notes for this and you were so prepared. Sammy, you are just a delight. I love getting to catch up with you again. Good luck with this book. I can't wait to read it. I hope all of you read it at home. And if you're loving the Little Me podcast, remember to rate and review and also to follow our Instagram at Little Me Podcast. And uh, follow me at Mark Tuminelli. And I'll see you next week. Sammy, thank you again. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you, listeners. This podcast is produced by Alan Seals, Dory Berenstein, and the Broadway Podcast Network and edited by Derek Gunther. For more information on the Little Me Podcast, go to bpn.fm slash little me. And follow me on Instagram at Mark Tuminelli or on Twitter at thattuminelli. And for more information on workshops, classes, and everything Broadway Workshop, go to broadwayworkshop.com. Thank you for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.